Hello and welcome to the latest and hopefully gaff-free edition of Careers Talk. I'm Kerry Eustace. So, have you ever experienced that stomach-churning realisation that you've made a major mistake at work? Sometimes you do make mistakes and uh, you use wrong words. And once you've used that word and you've made a mistake, you should withdraw it and say profound apologies, and that's what I've done. The Prime Minister Gordon Brown there, apologising for calling Gillian Duffy a bigoted woman, a slip summer calling the biggest mistake of Brown's career. Well, fear not, Gordon, Julian Lindley has some advice for us all on saving face and bouncing back after a workplace blunder. Later in the pod, fresh from the London Book Fair, we'll be talking to Suzanne Collier of bookcareers.com about the world of publishing. Naturally, we also have all our indispensable regular features and ladies, I'm very excited to announce that Freddie Grinter is returning for this week's Jobs Top 10. But first, let's hear who's been letting off steam in the rant room. I'm currently employed as an advertising assistant, but I'm getting the feeling that the manager is planning on getting rid of me to make me the scapegoat for his failures. I found out that my manager was not to be trusted after just a few months in this role. As a result, I usually keep a record of everything I do. I send emails or minutes of meetings and task sheets confirming what task has been given to me and what I've accomplished. I found the role difficult to fulfil as I'm kept in the dark about most things and no performance targets have been set, even though this is stated in my contract. All of this has left me in a depressed state of mind as I can't leave due to the current climate. What can I do to prepare and where can I go to receive advice? Thank you for sharing your frustrations with us. We asked our legal expert Philip Landau for some advice. You should keep copies of all relevant emails and if possible a written chronology of events. As you've been employed longer than a year, you do have the right to make a claim for unfair dismissal should matters get that far. You can ultimately only be dismissed for a fair reason. Capability is one of the fair reasons, but this would need to be justified against you personally. If the failures at work are not your responsibility, then you'll have a sufficient defence to the dismissal at the appropriate time. You also have the right to lodge a grievance if matters are getting too difficult. Your employer will be obliged to investigate this and you'll have a right of appeal. If you need to take professional advice along the way, you should not shy away from this. Many employees leave it too late before they do so, which is often to their detriment. I hope Philip's advice is useful and remember if your boss is more disruptive than a cloud of volcanic ash or if you have any other workplace gripe, be sure to share it with us in the forum and we'll read the best ones out in the pod. Now I'm joined as usual in the studio by Ali White who's here to talk about career options for psychology graduates. Hello. Hi Ali, how you doing? I'm well thank you. Good. Tell me a bit about what this discussion was about. Well, it was an interesting one because it's the first in a series of Q&As which are going to offer advice on different career options that different degrees can provide. So first of all, we had psychology Mm -hmm. for people graduating soon or who may want to change into that particular area. Yeah, so if you've got a psychology background, just Mm -hmm. sort of exploring what options are open to you. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, good. So who was involved in this one? Did we have a good panel? Yeah, a great variety, especially lots of universities represented, including Middlesex University, the University of East London and City University. Also, Open University for a slightly different study approach. 
Also, we had Alan Simmons, who's our career consultant for the NHS careers. Yeah. And also our Guardian Careers health expert. Okay, good. And was this a good discussion? What sort of questions were people posting for it? Um, Yeah, great discussion. We had a few different questions about the avenues you should take to break into psychology, um, including appropriate qualifications. I, you know, do you want to do a doctorate or a PGCE if you want to teach? Um, And a lot of people wondering if you can jump straight into a professional course, perhaps if you don't have the appropriate degree already say if you haven't done your BA uh, in a psychology subject so that was interesting and also concerns about finding jobs as well Um, people with lots of voluntary hands-on experience just not getting the jobs that they're looking for. So can you jump straight into one of these further courses if you haven't got a psychology related BA? Um, It is possible what you need to do is a conversion course in psychology if your first degree isn't in that subject and that will give you enough background to then go on and study at um, postgraduate level. So it is possible. I did follow the discussion and it was really fascinating because a lot of the panellists were talking about what sort of areas in psychology were really big at the moment, so where the majority of opportunities might lie. Can you tell me a bit more about that? I think it was sort of like counselling and positive psychology, wasn't it? Yeah, well, it was really interesting, actually, because I spotted a good post by Catherine123, who had heard the exact same thing, that the government are actually trying to expand counselling as an area. And um, she asked, um, she wanted to maybe perhaps do a doctorate in this subject, but she was asking the panel if she should make the commitment, is it worth it? And the the panel did point out that it is a well-established and respected area, which they can only see the situation improving. So it was definitely worth following that route. Um, And the other thing as well, she's worried about perhaps a doctorate costing her a lot of money. But from their experience, they'd seen students find paid practice work while they're studying for this counselling psychology qualification. And also um, one um, panelists pointed out that she hasn't seen a student of hers not get a job when she's followed that route into counselling so it's very very um, good area to be looking at from what I can see someone also pointed out that because of the recession and redundancy it's highlighted how employers are quite an important part of businesses so occupational psychology and something called positive psychology which is looking at is a massive growth area looking at um, people what they're like when they're happy and flourishing rather than when they perhaps have a problem and businesses are looking at engaging their employees by this sort of route so it's very interesting yeah brilliant <laughs> right thanks Ali no problem Now, I know after the teaser at the top of the show, you'll be bursting with anticipation to hear what Julian has to say on making mistakes. So here's his tip of the week. Obviously, the story that's dominated the headlines this week has been Gordon Brown being caught calling that poor woman a bigoted woman. You know what? It shouldn't have said it, but we all make gaffes at some point in our careers. This is a good thing to remember about gaffes as well, is just to accept that everyone loves a gaffe. Kanye West gaff uh, with Taylor Swift at the MTV Awards, utter genius. Christian Bale's rant on the set of Terminator, one of the best things that's ever happened in the history of the world. Um, and then of course, this is my favourite, Bush's Yo Blair. We love to revel in them, you just have to accept that when something goes wrong, other people are going to take joy in the fact that you have messed up. And the only way really to recover from this, to deal with it, is to just apologise without any reservation. The worst thing you can do is to try and defend that mistake. It would just make it even worse. You know, as the editor of a magazine like Heat, you are quite often coming up a lot against a lot of very challenging situations. My tactic always is never to say a word because the more you say sometimes, the more you infuriate somebody. I remember one occasion in particular where a certain celebrity, very famous, who I shan't mention, her publicist, 
shouted at me for an hour on the telephone. My ear was almost melting off the side of my head by the time he had finished with me. And um, we're still fine now. I saw him you know, not that long ago and we had a nice friendly chat. These things happen. Conflict happens. Sometimes it's best just to hear them and just keep your mouth shut. And be really vigilant for a really long time after you've really messed up. Double, triple, fact check everything. You need to bring in a massive success or do something that then allows your bosses and your colleagues to see you for who you really are, which is a very good professional member of the team. But, you know, don't beat yourself up about it. We've all done it and we will all do it and we'll all do it again. You know, mistakes happen. That was creative director at Bauer, Julian Lindley, on saying sorry and bouncing back after a workplace blunder. So thanks to Julian, we've already explored one of the major news stories of the week. But the other big headline that we've been talking about on the careers desk, which probably would have been even bigger if it hadn't been for Bigot Gate, is the Birmingham City Council pay case. An employment tribunal in Birmingham found in favour of thousands of female workers employed by the city council, including cleaners and care assistants, who complained of being excluded from bonuses paid to men, often on the same pay grade, worth up to 160% of their basic pay. For example, male refuse collection staff took home £51,000, while women on the same pay grade received less than £12,000. Unison and GMB, Britain's general trade union, were obviously delighted with the victory, but the story highlights that there are still glaring pay gaps between men and women. It also stirs up memories of recent public distaste regarding the big salaries paid to senior staff in areas such as finance and the public sector. So what do people think of their own salaries? I took to the streets to find out. My name's Gary Horton and I'm a training consultant from the North West. Um, what do you think about sort of top salaries? They're in the news quite a lot at the moment. People getting criticised because they get paid quite a lot. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. To be honest with you, I think I find it really disgusting that people who are doing standard jobs should be paid a good salary and in this current climate they're not. The pay sector is a big difference. I think it should be equalised out. Yeah. Okay, so my name's Elizabeth Gruson. I teach in an international school in Paris. I'm British and I've lived in Paris for a very long time. The people at um, Birmingham City Council, the women there who've recently been given the go-ahead to have equal pay to men on the same grade as them, did you hear about that story and what did you think about it? Uh, I was really, I thought they were brilliant and I'm on their side absolutely, good for them and more people should be reacting in that way. Yeah, I'm really glad for them. My name's Gordon Leatherdale, uh, I'm 35 and I work in the food industry in retail and uh, food products. I, I think in the public sector people often get paid far too much and you only have to look at um, what these ministers and, and quango heads and so on and so forth are being paid. Uh, bankers don't know about that to be perfectly honest, they play a vital role I think. And I think what's very interesting also is that the, the Alistair Darling and so on have insisted on bankers bonus tax and all the rest of it, but have the politicians taken a cut of pay, an extra tax as a result of their mistakes over the last 15 years? Probably not. My name is Mark Nelson and my job is a HGV driver. Of course I want more money. If I, even if I was getting a £1,000 a week, I want £2,000 a week and so on and so on. So, you know, but yeah, that's all right. It's not bad. It's not bad. Some of the, some of the, the, the MPs and all that, they get a lot of money, didn't they? And to be fair, I don't think they deserve it. If, for example, if people like surgeons, doctors, nurses, I think if people like the, you know, the fire brigade and all that, ambulance drivers and more important people, if they could get more money, teachers and all that, then it'd be better. But it's the money, whatever money goes around, it seems to 
far as what I read in the news and everything, it seems to go to the wrong people. Nursing, the nursing profession, uh, the police, uh, certainly social workers, because that's what I was before I went into the private sector. And one of the main reasons I left was because of the jobs, lack of job satisfaction. There was never enough money to do what we needed to do. And uh, basically the salaries were terrible for social workers. So why do the job and, you know, still go away at the end of the week, you know, with hardly any money in your pocket. So. I think soldiers. I think soldiers shouldn't pay income tax. Um, soldiers and people in the public sector who are in frontline roles, I think, shouldn't pay uh, income tax. That would be my bet noir. Uh, my name is Matthew Jones. Um, I'm a chemist and I work for a pharmaceutical company. Do you feel you're paid enough in your role for the work that you do? Well, I'm paid sufficient. I can survive. I usually have money left over at the end of the month. In comparison to the sector, I'm probably underpaid. My general view is that managers get paid too much. At the end of the day, all you have to do is to be able to live. And um, if you have a bit left over to enjoy yourself, fair, fair enough. But salaries of the order of three, four, five hundred thousand pounds or even higher, I find excessive and greedy. Uh, my name's Daniel and I work as a campaigner uh, for a charity. Definitely nurses, definitely, or teachers. This job, maybe. <laughs> um, I mean, even cleaners, isn't it? Because that's a pretty, like, hard job, man, you know? My brother used to do it. He used to actually clean for the BBC, and that's a, that's a hard job, man. Uh, my name is Marta. I'm a primary school teacher uh, from Portugal, but I have worked in England before. So what do you feel about the teaching profession? Do you get paid enough for what you do? No. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, not in England, anyway. I do elsewhere. I think in England, there's a massive problem with uh, retaining teachers. I think... The average is um, newly qualified teachers end up staying in the job for about five years and then they leave. It's not just the money, it's a lot of bureaucracy as well, but uh, money is, is a big part of it too. In general, any legislation to enforce equal pay, sufficient pay, and um, to avoid excessive pay will be very difficult to enforce. Because at the end of the day, we're living in a, in a, in a world where global business is important and the word global is, is critical. If a company doesn't like the legislation of a particular country, they can just up and go and leave. I think it's enormously unfair. I think Birmingham City Council have been extremely naughty, to be perfectly honest. But I think it's shocking and I think they owe whoever they've underpaid the pro rata increases in, and backdated to whenever it started, to be perfectly honest. So I'm sure the girls who work for Birmingham City Council are gutted and probably furious, aren't they? I'm sure if, I was a, if I was a voter in the, in the Birmingham City wards, I'd be enormously hacked off and I think that the, the, the heads of Birmingham City Council should hold, hold their heads in shame, I have to say. I think it's shocking. A few different views there on the delicate subject of money. Moving on from public sector pay to the publishing industry now, we're joined by our studio guest, Suzanne Collier. Suzanne is an expert on careers in book publishing. She has more than 25 years experience of working for publishing companies and is the owner of bookcareers.com, a site offering careers advice for professionals working within the industry. We're already familiar with Suzanne as she's been contributing to our live Q&As and blogging for the careers site for some time. So it's great to have one of our experts here in person. Welcome, Suzanne. Thank you. All right. So you've been at the London Book Fair over the last, was it last week? It was last week. Tell us what it was like and what you were doing there. First of all, uh, it was really, it's one of the quietest London book fairs that I've been to for years because of the flight ban. Um, it was quite pleasant because there were no queues for the toilets or to get a coffee and you could easily find somewhere to sit. But the impact on the industry actually could be quite worrying. 
if the international publishers aren't there and the international visitors aren't there, that means international sales and deals that would usually happen or be confirmed at the fair aren't happening. You've also got the impulse factor that when you're walking past somebody's stand and you see, hey, wow... So you miss that impulse opportunity. But good savvy publishers who are up to date um, with their communication shouldn't lose out too much. But part of me does worry that this is going to impact on jobs within the industry. So were people talking about that, the industry? Was that one of the big issues of the event? That was one of the big issues of the event was how this is going to impact on the industry particularly when you look at some of the much smaller publishers who might go all out and put their years marketing or budgeting expense into running a stand and then for them not to have visitors um, it it could impact quite severely okay so what were you doing at the fair were you what events were you taking in and that sort of thing um one of the things i was doing is i was participating in the careers center on the monday Um, I was giving free careers advice to anybody that dropped in along with a number of key recruiters and other professionals within the industry and we were very busy. Okay so based on that interaction what were the the major issues people were talking about or their concerns about their careers? Um, The main thing that came through I'd say the majority of people I was talking to was first and second jobbers and a number of career changers who were finding out how to use their transferable skills within the industry. They're rather worried about how many jobs are available and how to find jobs and what publishers are actually looking for now because there are just so many changes going on and so many advancements. Um, And to me, some areas of publishing are getting slightly obsessed with e-books, which is all very well and good, but they're not going to be the be-all and end-all of publishing. Mm. Well, let's talk, yeah, let's talk about e-books a little bit, because you wrote a blog, didn't you, about future-proofing your skills for the publishing industry. And presumably it's quite important to be prepared for that, but you think that people are going over the top. That's interesting. Tell me more about that. I think that people think that the book is dead, that the printed book is dead, and that e-books will just take over. And I, in my opinion, it, e-books may be like paperbacks and take 25 to 35 percent of the market but I don't actually see them replacing the printed book I think the way that we use ebooks might be different to the way we use printed books but there are some books that just no matter how good things look on screen will never transcribe easily to an ebook and also too there are a certain amount of people who can't use screen readers Okay. In a career sense then, do you think it's going to be there will be people who work in print and people who work with digital publishing or do you think it's important that you have a combination of skills and what skills do you think people need? I think it's really important to have a combination of skills because publishers are going to be producing multi-format books. They're going to be producing printed books. They're going to be producing ebooks or other books for download that it's really important that you have the widest possible set of transferable skills so that no matter where your company or employer is going you can take them there. Tell me a little bit about the programmes that you think that people should be familiar with. You mentioned that in your blog didn't you? Yes well to me Adobe are winning the ebook war and it's really InDesign, Photoshop, for web design it's Dreamweaver and 
it's also about making sure that you have the widest possible set of packages um, on sort of Microsoft Office and just being able to understand how new software runs. But also, too, if you take away the computer software packages, you really need to be competent now in HTML and XML and CSS cascading style sheets because these are really the foundation of any ebook or any online process. What other issues sort of came up at the fair? There's a, there's lots of discussion about equality. Is there? There's an equality charter on the cards. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Yes, uh, the Diversity and Publishing Network, otherwise known as DipNet, has. Uh, come together with the Publishers Association, the Independent Publishers Guild, the Booksellers Association and other trade organisations to bring in an equalities charter across the industry, which I think is absolutely fantastic. Um, If you take publishing 25 years ago, it was very white middle class. And if you take publishing now, it's still very white middle class. There is some inequality within the genders in that, um, according to the salary survey conducted in 2008 and all the years before, that approximately 75% of women work in publishing against 25% of men. But a lot of the men still are at the top or making the decisions, if not right at the top, because there has been a huge breakthrough of the glass ceiling, they're still very much at director level and making the key decisions, whereas the women are not necessarily represented and the men aren't necessarily represented further down the chain. Okay, so how is this charter going to affect the workforce and the people who are going to be coming in? I think it will make book publishing accessible for all. Um, It's going to be great because it's going to uh, cover not just uh, race, colour, ethnic origin and gender, it's going to cover disability and health issues and the way that publishers deal with somebody who works for them who suddenly becomes disabled or has a change in their life. It's going to obviously cover religion, marital status and family status, sexual orientation, age, which hopefully will make it easier for career changes coming in, physical appearance and perceptions of social class and any other injustices where people make judgments, Mm. where they're not based on somebody's skills and competencies. To give you an example, a few years ago I worked with a client who had been diagnosed with cancer and had had was having chemotherapy, and the company concerned refused to make the reasonable adjustment of changing the time of the editorial meeting so that she could go and have her chemotherapy or giving her the time off to go and have the time for the chemotherapy obviously that's an isolated incident and I don't think book publishing is unique in doing that but I think that book publishers need to grasp what is actually going on in the world outside Mm. and we're in a multicultural society book publishing is missing a huge opportunity here because they're not necessarily publishing the books for the person on the street Mm. you mentioned the salary survey tell me more about that and why you you did that and and what sort of what other results came about um one the salary survey originally came up in 1996 uh funny enough at a guardian event Ah. uh, you're sponsoring the london graduate careers fair Mm, yeah and i had a stand there um 
and we I was talking to somebody they came up they'd just been offered a job with a publisher and they didn't know whether the salary was the right salary for for that job because yeah. it seemed rather low compared to other industries they wanted to know if later on in their career did it increase did it suddenly jump up um I have to tell you sadly not oh okay um but that's sort of where it originated from and I've been running it now well since 1996 some of the standard things that come out is the percentage of women versus men unfortunately women are still getting paid less than men for doing the same job but also too it helps you if you're coming into the industry it allows you to come in with your eyes open and to make a career choice you know to me but publishing is a vocation it's something that you just really have to have the love of wanting to work with books and words and literature and that job satisfaction to some extent has got to take the place of a huge whopping great salary but however there are too many people that are being taken advantage of because they think that it's all about the love of books and not about the salary. That's an interesting picture that you paint there. I mean, it's quite a competitive sector and, and the equality issues and the pay issues as well. How are people prepared when they come into publishing for that? Do they have a, an accurate sort of idea of what it's going to be like working there? And do they feel that it's worth it when they get there? I would say that since we've been doing a salary survey, people have a much broader idea about what is the salaries actually are. And it's quite interesting when I talk to career changers or people coming into the industry, they've normally made their money in another industry and are quite happy to set to settle for a lower salary, particularly people from banking and the finance sector. I would say that there is still a fair percentage of people who aren't aware of the salary issues. And I think that it's an easy choice to make when you've just graduated about saying, yes, the job I'm doing is more important than my salary. But when you get about seven years down the line and you have what I call dinner party syndrome, where you're at a dinner party with your peers and they're talking about all the fantastic holidays they're going on and all their weekends away and you're realising, actually, I can't afford to do that it can be quite a, a hard thing to grasp. Yeah, so what sort of people and skills do you think are well suited to the industry then? I think that people who love books, um, but people who have commercial awareness are more important now than people who love books. It is an industry like any other industry and its main aim is to make money. And it's all very well having the love of books and wanting to work with literature and the perception that all an editor does is sit and read all day um, or maybe go out to lunch. Um, but that isn't the actual reality. Tell me a bit more about the roles, because you you've had a really varied career, haven't you? You've worked in lots of different areas. You've done sort of marketing, sales, um, permission control and editorial scheduling. Um, what is, what's the variety like? And can you highlight some of the roles perhaps people don't know about? You know, you're not just sitting there reading all the time. What else is there that people can do professionally? There are many different departments within publishing. There's publicity, there's marketing, there's editorial, there's rights, there's sales and production. And some of the things that tend to get overlooked are production, 
which is absolutely fascinating. Um, making the book happen, you're deciding the number of pages, the type style, the typeface, the quality of the paper. You're dealing with suppliers. You're actually seeing the whole process. Um, that's one area which I think is overlooked. The others particularly is there's a lot of people that want to go into marketing and a lot of people tend to overlook sales. Sales was absolutely fantastic because I got paid to talk about books all day. And that was really, um, really enjoyable. And also rights, which is international sales, um, but co-editions are selling the finished books. And rights are really at, almost at the forefront of ebooks because they're having to take on board all the ebook rights, electronic rights. If you've got a love of languages or you're multilingual, then rights really is the department for you. A big part of your career, you've been involved in the Society of Young Publishers. Can you tell me a bit more about the Society and how important it's been to you to be involved? The Society was founded in 1948 as a networking organisation for young people in publishing. Um, I became chair first in 1989. At the time, I was the youngest person ever to hold the chairmanship. It's great because it's a bit like a debating society they have monthly meetings on different aspects in publishing and speakers from across the board in publishing usually higher up heads of houses directors and what I found in my first year as chair is that I was going to a meeting I was hearing a head of house or a head of Waterstones talk at a meeting I was then going into an editorial meeting or a sales and marketing meeting in the office the next day and I was saying to somebody well actually this is how Waterstones are doing this now and that's really the benefit of it is it teaches you about the industry in a far greater uh, way than just working in a job it puts you on the radar Mm. of heads of houses and people within the industry that you wouldn't necessarily no. Yeah. They've got some brilliant social events coming up and they're also launching a mentoring scheme as well, which looks absolutely interesting. They're going to mentor at least, well, 20 people within the industry, put them in touch with mentors yeah. and help them develop their career, which I just think is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it's a great opportunity. So it's not only the contact building, but you've got somebody who can help you develop your career as well. Yes. Okay, well, yes, get involved with the SYP. That would be your advice, I'd imagine. It it would be. I mean, if you asked me for my top tips, I've always said that the three things you have to do if you want a career in book publishing is to read the book Inside Book Publishing by Giles Clark and Angus Phillips. Learn about the industry. Look at what's being sold in bookshops because it's what's being sold, not what people are publishing that's important. It's what people are reading and people are buying. I'd also say to join the SYP and become involved go to meetings go to their events and thirdly write a lot of letters and learn how to cope with rejection because it is a tough industry to get into but it's great fun when you're here thanks very much Suzanne it's been lovely talking to you and meeting you in person and um, we'll have you back soon I hope thank you very much it's been a pleasure thanks again to Suzanne Collier of bookcareers.com Now, here to reveal the must-apply-for jobs of the week, we have Freddie Grinter from Guardian Jobs and Ali with the Jobs Top 10. But first, I've got to ask you, Freddie, have you managed to secure any voiceover work since your last stint in the podcast? We were so impressed with you. It's very nice of you to say. Um, My CV's out there, so any prospective film companies, uh, please give me a call. Yeah, we'll have our fingers crossed for you. Thank you. (laughs) 
a digital role in the theatre world kicks off the chart at 10. The National Theatre is recruiting a digital designer and filmmaker with proven flash experience. At 9, Great Ormond Street Hospital needs a youth volunteer coordinator to promote, recruit and support young people for a new and fitness-focused volunteering project. A role at the Brit School of Performing Arts at 8. The cutting-edge school for vocational qualifications is offering a teacher of new media, a full or part-time post, to develop existing industry qualifications. British Council Kuala Lumpur wants a TEFL-qualified teacher for the role of Professional Development Unit Coordinator at 7. Top graduates are wanted for number six. The agency Riley People is recruiting conference producers to devise content and organise speakers at commercial events for a leading business information company. Another agency post at five. Exchange team is looking for an online communities manager to develop digital strategy for a well-known charity. At four, communications giant O2 need a head of social media to develop social media strategy and to drive creative content for online O2 communities. Three is a commercial manager post for the National Trust. You'll be raising the profile of the Somerset countryside through a range of outdoor commercial activities. A post at Bauer Media, home of Heat, Grazia, FHM and Kerrang at two. The company needs a junior research assistant to analyse industry audience data. And top of the jobs is a strategic service manager job at Wirral's Metropolitan Borough Council, Children and Young People's Department. This post involves delivering services across a range of sectors within the department. You can find out more about these jobs at guardianjobs.co.uk. Before we go, let's have a quick look at next week's diary. Ali, what we got coming up? We've got lots to tell you about. Uh, May the 4th, we've got career options for nurses between 1 and 4pm. Also on May the 5th, the next day, we have what can I do with a degree in business studies between 1 and 4 also. May the 6th, we've got new roles in journalism, which is all about entry-level journalists and how what they need to know about developments in the way news and content is delivered and roles around that. And on May the 7th, we're talking about entry-level networking. Thanks, Alison. That brings us to the end of the show. Thanks very much to our guests, Suzanne Collier, Julian Lindley, Freddie Grinter from Guardian Jobs, everyone who talked to me about equal pay, and Alison White. I'm Kerry Eustace. Careers Talk was produced this week by Kate Taylor, and until next week, goodbye. Goodbye.